0: We're going to be talking actually on the really massively important subject of sex and sexuality for most of our time. So, okay, so let me read to you. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 to 10 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let's just pray together. Father, we ask you would send your Holy Spirit now and use the words I bring from the Scriptures to speak to our hearts and bring transformation to our lives as faith is born within us. And new willingness and new love of you and love for faithfulness and purity and obedience grows and rises up within us and amongst us as a generation. We ask, use these words now in Jesus' name, amen. We wanted to talk uh, in these four mornings about this uh, subject of sex and sexuality for some very big reasons. We live in a society that has made up its mind in a lot of ways and the direction that things are going uh, across the board seems to be further and further away from the right one in terms of how we understand the whole subject of sex, sexuality, what we do with sex and so on. So we're touching a subject which... The Christian kind of stands out on, and it can leave us feeling, uh, perhaps a little bit vulnerable, uh, struggling to be heard, struggling to be understood in society. It, It can leave us feeling even lonely and worried about how we look as a Christian. And so, we really wanted to try and help you this week by bringing some teaching from the Bible to help you give us get a stronger idea of the good. And positive reasons for what the Bible teaches about sex and sexuality. See, see, culture that we're uh, living in has uh, generally seen itself working according to a certain story. And uh, if you've, I, I guess, I guess if, if you don't have to have seen these films, because it's kind of, it goes further than just a few films. But films like Selma and 12 Years a Slave, and a lot of other films that are similar, they are about the fantastic story of people in their struggle against oppression becoming liberated and free uh, from the powers of oppression. That's the story that our society celebrates especially, the story of groups and individuals getting free from the things that restrain them, the chains that bond them and captivate them finally we are free from those hostile powers that that put us into slavery and into dark places where we we can't live as dignified human beings now that is a a magnificent story but it's like what our society is doing is kind of extending that story on and on so that it's kind of applied to every category of life The whole issue of being free from oppression is is applied to my personal need to be free sexually. And over the last couple of generations especially, the last 50 years, that has been one of the massive agendas, one of the massive uh, strong kind of trends in our society. People finding freedom to do whatever they please, whatever they immediately desire to do sexually. And in fact, anything that stops you or me or him or her or whatever to be able to be truly free to express ourselves sexually is a force of repression or maybe even oppression. It's a force of control. It's something that we should be free from. So that's the society story. That's the, 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 the big story that seems to be controlling us as a generation. And certainly you guys as a generation in the years that you have ahead of you, that's the strong story that seems to be around you in a society. Anything that comes as a check or a restraining, anything that's, that tries to tell you that sex is for this and not for that, is repressive, it's bad for you, it might even be psychologically damaging, that is a a strong belief. It's a strong, strong belief. It's held to passionately by the people that are shaping our culture, from the thinkers and the politicians and the academics and the people in the media, right through to the musicians and the celebrities and the people that we see all across our magazines and our celebrity websites, This is like a a religion almost. A huge story. You must be free sexually whatever happens. Anything less than complete and utter liberty from any restraint sexually is bad and dangerous. And then the Christian has to step into that world. And it's almost impossible it seems for the Christian not to be perceived as basically doing this all the time. (whistles) Don't you dare. That's what we become. That's how we're perceived very easily. Just the force, well, basically like the kind of swimming pool attendant. (whistles) I saw you running. (whistles) Don't do that in this place, you two. (whistles) Don't dive at that end. You know, it's just the kind of constant rule. It's the oppression of rules, 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 rules. You need to understand, all of you, and I, I want the world to understand this, that is not how this book comes into the world. It doesn't come into the world as God's list of do's and don'ts. That's not the point of it. This this book actually tells a story of its own. And the wonderful thing is, this story that this book tells is better than the story that the world is telling. It's a story of greater liberation. It's a story of greater destiny, greater value, greater dignity on the individual human being and on life in general. It is a great story and our need at this time as Christians is to get to know the story it tells and understand sex and sexuality within that story. What is the story the Bible is telling about sex? What is the story it tells through the subject of sex? And so... Over these next three days, four days, that is one of the things we want to do. We want to help you be equipped with a better story that helps us to understand why actually the the whole subject of sex is like what Paul says here, the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. This is a good thing. So let me give you, as quick as I can in the time that I've got left today, six key points from this part of the Bible about about sex as an introduction to the other stuff that Andrew is going to bring to us. The first thing I want to say to you is that you, first of all, when it comes to the subject of sex and sexuality, you need to decide about Jesus. Starting here, decide about Jesus Christ. This is a little bit like doing a jigsaw or, or even a crossword. If, if some of you may be quite good at crosswords. I'm not particularly good at the, especially the, the cryptic ones. I, I give up on those very early. I, I barely ever do them. But when I have done them, this is the thing I've noticed. If I get something wrong early, I generally get the whole thing wrong. If I get, if I get a word wrong, what I'll tend to do is, is not notice it at first I'll try a few others and perhaps get some other ones right. But gradually, I'll find that the whole kind of plan I've got for the crossword, it's it's, it's kind of, it's weird. It isn't quite working. And because of the wrong one I've got, and because of uh, this this one I've already answered wrong, I've got some letters in there that are making me think about what, what words I put in elsewhere. And I'm putting wrong words in again and again and again. It's all fitting with my master plan of how this crossword is going to work. It just happens to be the wrong plan. My master plan has failed. And I need to undo that. I need to actually have the. The kind of the courage. The humility whatever. all the time. To stop and say okay right. This, this didn't work. I'll start again. I'll try a different approach. I'll have to rub out all my answers. And begin with the, with the first answer. See if I got the, the first answer wrong. And. And this life is a lot like that. If you get the first thing wrong, you are guaranteed to get many other things wrong. The first thing to get right is what you're building your life upon in the first place. The foundation stone. The thing that everything else is built on top of. And the thing to start with is whether or not Jesus is real. If we we don't start there... Well, in the end, it doesn't really matter what we say about sexuality. I don't know how many uh, genders now that you can you can tick the box for on Facebook to say that you are. I think they've gone up to about 50 or it used to be two. Then it was, you know, it's kind of how many, what, which gender are you? It's, it's, you know, three billion different genders to choose from. And many people get a bit... Upset and even confused. How weird is that? How crazy is it that, that, that Facebook has hundreds of different genders? that you, you can be male, female, or whatever different kinds of things, you know, uh, LBGT, all the, all the various other pieces of the puzzle. And we react, we struggle, we think, what, what, how, why is society going that way? But I've got to tell you, if Jesus isn't real, then we've got to face the fact that it it, doesn't, it almost doesn't really matter if Jesus isn't real why shouldn't there be three trillion genders if, if Jesus isn't real then nothing really matters why does anything matter life is all just one big accident anyway it's all just one huge happenstance just a huge accident of chance that we're here so why should anyone try and define anything in straight lines at all in the first place Life is just a a strange kind of hodgepodge. It's just chance all all thrown together. But if Jesus is real, then surely we should start there. And that is definitely a place to start. If you've got huge questions, and many of you have about sex, sexuality, about yourself, about your temptations, your desires, about who you think you might be, you, you must decide first, is Jesus real? What people are generally doing in our society is saying, "I really like sex; therefore, Jesus isn't real." Now that's that's really strange logic. I think you'll agree. <laughs> G- I really want to have sex with whoever I want to, whenever I want to, however I want to, in whatever position I want. I just want, I want that. Therefore, Jesus isn't real because I've heard I've heard that he's not down on that. So, so he must he can't be real. I insist that he isn't real. That's, that's, that's faulty. That doesn't work, logically. The, the best thing to do is start with, is he actually real? Is he true? Is, has he risen from the dead? And if he has, then what he has to say carries authority. He died and rose again. As we sang earlier in, in the worship time, he is Lord. He is risen from the dead. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. If that's true, it gives us a brilliant north star. It like gives us a, a north point, a magnetic north on the compass. It gives us a starting place to help us to work everything else out from there. We've got to decide, is Jesus real? Decide on that first, and it's like we've got a chance of getting this crossword puzzle done more effectively. There's a, there's a verse that gets quoted quite often in the Bible. It's in the Psalms, Psalm 118. It, it says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The idea is like a building site where they're trying to construct this great big tower or construction. And it's, it's like life. Life is a huge tower, a construction that we've got to put together. But, but we keep throwing away the cornerstone. We keep rejecting the main stone. We say we don't need that stone. We don't want that. And the Bible says it in many different places, in many different ways. If we get rid of that, we're getting rid of the main stone, the foundation stone, the things that, that, that hold the rest of the, the construction together. We can't afford to do that. We must decide first, is he real? And when we do, the wonderful discovery is that not only is he real, but he gives a kind of a fulfillment and a satisfaction to life, even to our whole... Uh, sexuality, even to our sex lives that we might not have expected. We might have thought, Jesus will close down my life sexually. That's what he wants to do. He wants to blow the whistle and close it down. That is the general belief that people have. But coming to know him truly, if you do, if you've known him already, you know something of this already, don't you? If you don't know him here this week, you need to know for yourself. And I trust that this week you will at least begin to find out for yourself that he doesn't want to close your life down. He instead wants to open your life up. To give you back the true story instead of the lies. And to set you up on the right foundation. To construct life along the right pattern. Second thing we need to decide on, is sex a gift or is it God? What we tend to do is is we make it either God or we make it outrageously out of bounds. Sex is either the main thing that we build all our lives upon. So I want sex, therefore Jesus isn't real. That would be a good example of making sex into God. But the the alternative that many religious people fall into is to think, well, no, sex isn't God, therefore sex is evil. Therefore sex is bad. Sex is disgraceful. Sex is a wicked thing. Sex is a... Is an awful thing. Now, you might think I'm exaggerating. That is honestly how many people in the world today will think. It's even been true about, sadly, some Christians through the ages. Some Christians have got into this strange idea, which the Bible specifically teaches against. I mean, I'll just give you an example. Just a few pages later in the New Testament, you get Paul's letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 4 and Paul is here describing some of the bad teaching that he wants Timothy to put straight in this same church in Ephesus that he's writing to in the first uh, section I read. He says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected that is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. A key phrase in there, it's all important, but did you catch the phrase there? He says this, that he's talking about teaching from demons, are you, that is a, that is a bad description just so we're clear he is definitely painting this in a bleak bleak light it's, okay this is bad this is as bad as it gets this is teaching from satan this is evil stuff it comes from hell and what kind of teaching is it going to be teaching people to murder teaching people to rape teaching people to commit genocide well in this case not quite he says here that through the insincerity of liars whose conscience is seared, who forbid marriage. That's the point. The Bible, the Bible actually lists those who forbid marriage as teaching a doctrine that's from hell. The reason they would have been forbidding marriage, by the way, is because they, in this letter, Paul's writing about people who would have seen sex as an evil thing. A a bodily thing, a physical thing. And Paul is clearly saying, no, that's not how it works. God created the body. God created marriage. God created genitals. God created sex. God created it and gave it as a gift. It's to be received with thanksgiving. It's something to be made holy through prayer. This is a good gift from God. But genuinely religious people will often struggle with this. Because we have this sneaking fear that somehow there's something depraved and wretched and awful about it. And it's a terrible life. Something we have to put aside. The Bible is full of quite explicit celebrations that are almost embarrassing of sex. Things that would perhaps shock us. Just one example that among many that I could bring to you is Proverbs uh, chapter 5. It says this, this is just one of the many famous passages of the Bible that celebrate the gift of sex that God has given. Proverbs 5, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for you yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Now, there were some words in there that may have surprised you. Uh, The word breasts, for example. The word that should surprise you more if you think about it, or the two words, are delight and intoxicate you catch this, the, the flavor of this part of the Bible this is God speaking in his word to the human race he's talking about marriage and he says this let her breasts fill you at all times with delight be intoxicated always in her love intoxicated drunk in other words the Bible, you, you might come to, to, to do that even, thinking, does the Bible allow us to enjoy creation and enjoy the gifts of God and even enjoy sex? Does the Bible allow us to at least have some fun? Listen, the Bible doesn't allow it. The Bible commands. Be intoxicated. Don't just put up with it. Get drunk on your marriage. Be so happy in the relationship that God gives that you are intoxicated it overwhelms you with the blessing you are delighted you need to hear this loud and clear as a generation and you as an individual that god gives this gift happily but but like with all the gifts god gives he's the one who's the wise giver knowing exactly how it's best to be used see fire is a gift Fire is a good thing. Fire uh, keeps you warm, it brings light, it cooks food. Fire has a lot of helpful uses. But we need to learn how to use it. We, 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 we are wise with it. If, we, if we've learned from our mistakes especially, we'll, we'll put it in an enclosed place. If we have it in the house, we'll put it in the fireplace. And, and that doesn't, you know, no one feels disappointed that the fire is it's it's stuck in the fireplace what a shame what a disappointment isn't it bad that we can't burn the house down who made up these stupid rules no 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 we're so glad that we have a a construction a place in the house that keeps it so that we can enjoy the blessing of it In its position, this is the way we deal with gifts. If you deal with fire as though it is God, you will surrender your house to it because, well, I have to. I give everything up for for fire because fire is God. It's the same with anything. If you receive it as a gift from God, you follow his word on how it's best used, most fruitfully used. And sex is God's gift to us. It isn't a God to us. Let me talk about the third thing really quickly. We need to learn to love purity. We need to not just try to be more if, uh, pure, try to be more uh, disciplined, try desperately hard to restrain ourselves. See, that doesn't really work. Trying desperately in our own strength to overcome temptation, it's not powerful. Just, it isn't effective. It's as, it's as attractive to us as... Stop, don't, do this, don't do that. It it doesn't have power to bring a change within. But God's plan for you is to do more than bring just boundaries. His plan for you is to bring a love for purity within you. I say this because I I guess for many of us there's this kind of haunting sense we can have that God can't really put up with our desires I think the way that most of us are wired, at least in terms of you know, the temptations that we would face, we'd probably be like, you know, I, I get it. I, I know that there's danger with sleeping around too much. I know that there's danger. I, you know, but trust me, look, give me a break. I don't want to go to an orgy. I don't, want to, you know, I don't want to have successive partners 25 in one week. I'm not that kind of person. I don't want to break all the, I just, but I, but, 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 but I, but I just want, just, just, just do one thing. I just want to have a try. I just want to at least have a go with with this possibility. I just want to click on this website. I just want to spend a bit more time at her house. I just want to hang around after school in the place that he always walks past. I just want to to go a little bit further this evening. I just want to try one more. I want to just touch her there. I just want to, all I want to do, that's all I'm going to do. And, and the, the, the feeling we might have is that God can't really control, God's, God's not big enough for our desire. He doesn't realize that oh, we, are, we are hungry and he can't cope because he's religious and he's, he's a bit old. You know, God, he belongs in the 50s. He doesn't really understand us. And I've got two things to say about that. First of all, you're kind of fooling yourself whenever, whenever you say to yourself, or to God, and sometimes we're very convincing to ourselves, we're very good at persuading ourselves, you are conning yourself if you say, I just want to try this one little thing and then I'll be, I'm in complete control, I just want to have a go at this and then I'll be fine. Because what, what you discover, the instant it seems, you can walk seemingly innocently into a position. You cross a line. Where you know after you've done it, oh, I've been fooled, I've been tricked. You're like a fish who swallowed the hook, and you saw all you saw was lovely fleshy fat worm, <laughs> which is very tantalising, obviously. And, and as soon as you bit on it, you realised, ah, ah, it's a, it's a, it's a trick. I'm enslaved. I'm under control from something else now. So please don't con yourself about how far you can go. I just want to try this. I just want to do this. Remember, that's how evil came into the world because the man and the woman said, we just want to have one fruit from this tree. You are never the wise judge as to how much sin you can really take. You've got to trust God and his wisdom about that. But the second thing to say is this. You are completely mistaken if you think God cannot control your desires. Our problem is not that our desires are too big for God. It's the direct opposite. Our desires are tiny, feeble, dull. Can you imagine anyone more emotionally satisfying than eternal, everlasting, magnificent, majestic, beautiful God? And and he, he is the one. This God is the one who has created you and by his amazing mercy made himself available to you not just for now but forever and ever and ever. The Bible says at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Don't ever, ever think that by being chased, by being disciplined sexually, you are cutting yourself off from real pleasure and you're going to lose out. This is one of the problems that we have. We fight it the wrong way. I've used this story before. Some of you may have heard it used, but let me use it again for the sake of those who haven't. And even if you have, it's so helpful. There's a, a famous ancient Greek myth of Odysseus or Ulysses, some of you have heard of it, and uh, in this story one of the, the the things that the hero Odysseus has to do is sail past a certain island where there are these sirens calling out, these these singers who sing such an enchanting song that every ship that goes past tends to go off course towards the song because it's like a drug. They become transfixed. They're almost under its control. And this whole island is surrounded by rocks and broken ships. Because so many sailors have perished, so many ships have have been dashed on the rocks and hundreds have lost their lives because they heard the song and they were bewitched by it. Odysseus, he says to his crew, I want to hear the song, but I don't want to die. So what he does is he, he chains himself to the mast of the ship and he gets all of his men to put wax in their ears and they sail past this island. They can't hear it, but he can. And he said, I just want to hear it. I just want to hear it. I just want to hear it. And he thinks he's going to have a wonderful time. He's going to hear this beautiful music, but he's not going to die. But here's the thing. He is in agony. Because everything within him wants to have that song. He wants to control it and he wants to be controlled by it he wants to go and he's screaming to his sailors, he's threatening their lives, he's desperate to try and get them to, to sail over and they won't do it because they can't hear and so he passes that island not in joy, not loving the song hating the whole experience he's hating it and here's the thing many of you, that's what you think the Christian life is that you're chained to Jesus you're hearing and seeing all the things that the culture wants to offer you that are pleasing and good and happy. And you're in agony because you know you must have it. You want to have it. You need to have it. But you're not allowed to because I'm chained to Jesus and he's boring. That's how we see it. That's, that's so easily the perception that we have. It's probably the main idea that people have in their lives about Christianity. That it's, it's probably right, but it's not good. It's probably true, but it's not happy. It won't give pleasure. Listen, friends, that is an utter lie. It's an ancient lie. It's been told for generations. It's been told from the beginning to our first parents when they were told that God was saying you cannot have the fruit because God doesn't really like you and doesn't want you to grow. There's another sailor in the ancient world, in the myths, the Greek myths, called Jason. He does it differently. He has to sail past this island. And the way he sails past it is he brings a musician with him, Orpheus. He gets this guy to play on the ship. And Orpheus's music is so heavenly. He's so, it's like when he plays, it's so beautiful. It's such perfect music it actually drowns out the sound of the sirens so so they can sing all they like <laughs> they can go crazy they can try and get the attention of the ship with their beguiling music but Jason doesn't notice because he's hearing something better he's tasting something richer more delicious he's seeing something more gorgeous if there's anything i want you to know this week and for the rest of your lives it is that jesus is better than anything else and, and your your life must be a story of you learning to trust that whatever you go through whatever you say no to even some of the things that are said about you some of the accusations that are made you know that Jesus is better and you're able to trust that the joy that he will bring to you will outstrip any of the false pleasures, passing delights and little trinkets of this age that will die away and be no more. Jesus offers eternal living water, the bread of life. Trust him. Trust Him. Trust Him this week. Come to know Him for yourself this week. Find out if this is true yourself by investigating Him. Turning to Him. And putting Him as the foundation of your life. Let me say a couple more things really quick. The fifth one, I'm going to do this quick. Be who you are. Be who you are. That's what the, uh, the this passage seems to be suggesting when it says... In, in, in verse 4 oh, sorry verse three let sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving he, he's saying look that, that word fitting by the way is a clue he's not saying I, I, I want you to uh, uh, stop having uh, using sexual innuendo, and, and you know, don't tell dirty jokes because that's just inappropriate. That's wrong. Don't do that. It's bad. I know it's funny, but don't do it. He's not saying that. He's saying it's not fitting. In other words, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. If, if you go through this week dressed in your little sister's clothes or your little brother's clothes or even one of your kids' clothes, you, everyone will notice. It will be like, that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't fit. And when I say be who you are, what I mean by that is what it says here. Be the person that God has made you to be. If you've come to know Jesus Christ, then who you most truly are is a new creation. There's something brand new inside you. You heard what Daryl said last night. The person that went into prison before he became a Christian didn't come out of prison. He died a new person was born in his place. That is what happens to the person that comes to know Jesus Christ. You become something new. And so the stuff that you used to find fascinating, even the stuff you used to find entertaining, it doesn't seem to have the same power. Some of you know exactly what I mean. You've become a Christian, perhaps a few years ago, or maybe at New Day, and you went back to school, and the jokes that you used to laugh at with your friends, it wasn't that you thought, I shouldn't really laugh at this. It's dirty. It's funny. And I want to laugh, but it's dirty. So I shan't. That's, that's not how it works. You know what happened. You heard people telling jokes that you used to find funny. And you kind of don't anymore. It's like it just doesn't fit. It's like clothes that you've worn out. And it's, sometimes it's because the reason you found it funny wasn't because it was funny. It was because you wanted to be part of the club. You wanted to be down with your friends who laughed at the right times, and so you found it funny in order to be accepted. And because you've now been accepted by the person who matters the most in the universe, you're not craving their acceptance in quite the same way. And so the need... To laugh at the same things or to, tell the, or to use the same language is kind of gone. That's the point. It's not that when someone tells a joke that's wrong, uh, you should sort of uh, prudishly say, well, I, I, obviously I, I, I ought to laugh, but I, I don't laugh at things like that anymore because Jesus has made my life so much happier. It's, you don't really need to even react necessarily like that. I mean, there's a whole issue perhaps of, you know, how, much, how, how specifically should I react? Maybe we get too hung up about that. I know what it's like. I don't want to be that guy that, that reacts in a stupid way. I don't want to be Ned Flanders. I don't want to do that. I understand. But honestly, if the thing we're scared of the most in life is that our friends might think that we're prudish, maybe we should just get a life. It does, it's, it's, it's not the most dangerous thing. The worst thing that could possibly happen is not that people might think you're prudish about something. That's not the worst thing that could happen. And actually, the extraordinary thing is sometimes when people see your serious side, that can actually be provocative. It can cause them to ask questions and wonder more about you. But people need to come to know somebody who, as, well, this is my sixth point, I'll make it as my last point. Stay thankful. Stay grateful. That's the point that he makes in verse 4 where he says, let there be none of those things, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. That doesn't mean when someone says something rude or when you know, you're in a, in a situation where there's a lot of sex talk, you should be sure to bring your guitar with a rainbow strap. You know, At that point, when someone tells a rude joke, very quickly say, thank you, Jesus. That won't work. Okay? You don't have to try. It's not, it's not saying specifically, you know, come out with a praise song quick, quick. What it's saying is something a little bit deeper. It's saying, let there be thanksgiving at the depths of who you are. All language, all talk, all conversation is based on some foundations. And, and before we came to know Jesus Christ, the foundation of our conversation was ourselves our need to be accepted, our drivenness to be the best person, the the best person in the room, our drivenness to to be loved, to be desired, to be adored, to be in the ring. But coming to know Jesus Christ gives a different foundation to our lives. It gives us a foundation of thankfulness. I want us to actually, just as we finish now, Perhaps the musicians could come and join me. I want to encourage you, I want to urge you, I want to steer you towards thankfulness. See, thankfulness at the heart of your life will change your perspective when it comes to all of these issues. Sexuality, sex, temptations, struggles, acceptance, people's perceptions of you when it comes to these issues. If we understand what God has done for us, if we understand what he has done to accept us, if we understand the love, the kindness, the tenderness and the mercy that he's shown us through giving his son Jesus Christ on the cross, it gives a completely different perspective. It helps us to set our lives up differently and I want us to just practice this straight away by singing a song of gratitude and thankfulness to God and in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand and do that with me if, if you've understood what he's done for you and, and you've understood that he, he's done everything for you it helps you, it helps you to make the right judgment. The Bible says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? We want you to know that in Jesus Christ, all things are yours. Because your God, your Father, is thoroughly generous. He loves you. He loves the gifts he gives to you. He wants you to enjoy them. He wants you to celebrate them. He's not trying to close your life down. He's trying to open your life up. Now it may take a step of faith to believe that. It may take a step of sheer trust where you think, well, is that going to really work? I invite you this week to do that. And start it by remembering what he has already done for you. If he did that, If he did the cross, then you can be sure that he's not against you. He means well for you. Let's start singing this song. And uh, as the guys start leading, could we all stand together and start responding to him? We'll just make this our last song before we go to seminars, but I want us to respond.